Welcome to Grad Life by the Horns, the bi-weekly podcast covering all things grad life. Hosted by me, Becky Hills. And me, Sophie Scully. Hello and welcome back to episode 20 of Grad Life by the Horns. Thank you so much for all of your support on our previous episode with Dom. We're so glad you loved it as much as we did. This week, we're releasing the final episode we recorded pre-lockdown with Rachel Hazy, a senior lifestyle reporter, video presenter and fitness columnist for Insider. Rachel studied for a degree in French and German at the University of Bristol, during which time she spent a year abroad, teaching English to German and teenagers in Bavaria for six months, then followed by a six-month internship with BBC News and their Brussels bureau. After university, Rachel worked at The Telegraph as a lifestyle assistant on Seller magazine, before moving to The Independent in 2016 to become a lifestyle writer. She quickly moved up the ranks to become a senior lifestyle editor and, alongside Olivia Petter, hosted the chart-topping Millennial Love podcast for The Independent. On the podcast, she interviewed incredible people, including Jamie Lang, Elizabeth Day and Dolly Alderton, on their stories of love and relationships. In 2018, Rachel decided to move on from The Independent and took on a new role as a senior lifestyle reporter at Insider, where she now writes a regular fitness column and, pre-COVID, travelled around the world for stories. Rachel is one of the warmest people we've ever met and her boundless enthusiasm really comes across in this episode. We discussed everything from dating in your 20s to health and fitness and body confidence. This episode is perfect for if you're passionate about improving your relationship with yourself and your body or considering getting into journalism. Even if you don't fall into those two categories, Rachel's candidness and excitement for life can't help but rub off on you and improve your mood. I can't wait for you to listen. So let's get into the episode with the wonderful Rachel Hazy. Hi guys! I'm so excited. I love getting behind the mic. I'm so happy to be here. You know what makes it even better as well? It's a Sunday afternoon, we're in your lovely flat in London, fairy lights everywhere, beautiful bookshelves. It just makes the atmosphere really great. That's very wholesome. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks guys, I appreciate it. For me, having a home that I just love being in has been so important. It's like a sanctuary. Mm. And I also, I love interiors. I've developed this love for interiors, but it's a bit dangerous because I keep wanting to redecorate and I'm keep thinking like, mm, maybe I should get a different this and a different that. And I'm like, there's nothing wrong with what I've got. I just like mixing no. it up. Once you start, there's no stopping. I yeah. know. Made.com. I could spend all my money there. It's dangerous. <laughs> well, I might have a look actually. <laughs> oh my gosh, do, but be careful. <laughs> so we begin every episode by asking you two questions. The first of which is what's gone wrong this week? <sighs> this is a really hard question. What has gone wrong this week? Because to be honest with you, it's been a really great week. I think probably minor things that have gone wrong have been getting caught in the rain and not planning my shoes and outfits accordingly. Because do you know what's really annoying is when you got soggy feet, right? Oh, yeah. And so I'm quite a lazy person. So when I'm going to work out in the evening, I and I've got quite a chilled office, I will wear trainers to work that day because I can't be bothered to bring extra shoes. And I have made this error before, and I haven't learned from it apparently, and I then have got caught in the rain, it's been foul weather, hasn't it? And just then had soggy feet all day, and you don't want to do a workout with soggy feet, do you? No, it's like wet sock, there is nothing worse. Mm, Feels awful, smells awful. So that's been not great. I really should learn to bring extra shoes when it's gonna rain, which (laughs) is most days. I can't think of anything major that's gone Mm. wrong though. It's been a good week. Yeah, and also this does sound quite wanky, but I've kind of retrained my thinking over a recent couple of years in that I try not to actually think of things as going wrong. I try and think of them as either they go great 
or it's a learning opportunity. Mm, yeah. yeah, reflection. So growth mindset. Brilliant. I love exactly. it. <laughs> so maybe now I will finally learn to bring more shoes. Mm. <laughs> and the next question is a more positive one. What's going on in your life at the moment? So I listened to one of your previous episodes and the interviewees were saying they were like doing stand-up and writing a novel. And I was like, <laughs> quarter life gals. Yeah. Like quarter life yeah. And I was like, hmm... I don't have anything exciting like that to talk about. (laughs) However, what's going on is just, I feel very content. Like, I really love my job. I really love my friends. I've got some, like, nice holidays planned. feel very content in my flat. Hmm. And my sister's just moved to London, which is lovely. Because we got on very well, which is nice. And I'm just hoping that coronavirus does not curtail everything happening in the world and my upcoming travel plans <laughs> i know it's it's so difficult because you don't want to talk about something like that but it does completely jeopardize plans and it completely restructures mm. your whole life especially if you live in london as well yeah so i think a nice place to start is to go right to the beginning mm. when you were at university mm. studying german and french at bristol that is correct <laughs> yeah so i studied french and german at bristol and i started german from scratch which, in hindsight, was quite ambitious. <laughs> German's really hard. There were a bunch of us who started from scratch, and I was the only one who got the degree in German and did not quit from the Abinitio group. So I was really proud of that. The French I'd done at school, loved it, and I, I knew I wanted to do a second language, but I didn't know... I, couldn't just, I, I thought about doing Spanish or Italian or something, and I was like, meh. Quite similar to French, isn't it? Mm. I wanted to see something different. Plus, my grandma's actually German, and so there is German blood in me. So I decided to do German, and it's one of the best decisions I've ever made. I love Germany. I love German culture. I love the language. I will very vehemently defend German and Germany, and when people say, oh, it's a harsh language, isn't it? I'm like, no, you're absolutely wrong. (laughs) But uni was really fun. Yeah, I went to Bristol, and, well... I loved Bristol. I loved everything about uni lifestyle. I, I, you know, I was heavily involved in student journalism because I already knew I wanted to be a journalist, but I didn't want to study journalism in case I changed my mind. And I did... <laughs> <The> lockdown. <laughs> right? I was like, better just do like an academic degree. And so I was getting involved in the musicals and all sorts. But I was never someone who was like, wow, I love studying. Like, I was, I was there to get a degree and have the experience, and like, I didn't do badly by any means. Got a lot out of it, but, eh, I, I, I was never going to, like, be like, oh, yay, can't wait to learn more and do a master's. No. A degree, <laughs> one degree was enough for me, and uh, it was great because I did a year abroad as part of my degree as well, so I did six months teaching English in Germany and six months working at the BBC in Brussels, which was very cool. That is so cool. (laughs) Thank you. I think it was kind of, was an interesting one because I got this internship at the BBC and I mean, it wasn't going to be great for my French because I was going to be working in an office full of Brits. Plus in Brussels, it's such a European city that you hear more English with a foreign Mm. accent than you do French. But I think my uni lecturers were never going to block me going because they knew I wanted to be a journalist and they knew it was going to be a great career opportunity yeah, for the me. BBC. Right? Yeah. Exactly. And I got so much out of that. It was a really incredible experience. I would be like going to like Barack Obama's press conference <gasps> at like 21 oh years old. Like, no. what am I doing here? Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. It was so jokes. I swear he looked right at me at one point. 
but it could have just been because the guy behind me asked a question. But I think he looked out. <laughs> in his periphery. No, That's the main thing. Right? Yeah. I think we had a moment, actually. Anyway. <laughs> um, so that was really Watch cool. out, Michelle. <laughs> yeah. Jokes, I would never do that. Love you, Michelle. <laughs> yeah, and then I graduated and I like just had a pretty chilled summer. Went travelling for not that long, a few months in the autumn. I did a very classic Southeast Asia. You know, why not? Everyone does it, why not? <laughs> it's great. And I did uh, Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore and Indonesia. Very Amazing. fun. Which one was your favourite? Indonesia. Mm. Because Ooh. I... I mean, there's actually there's so many Indonesian islands I need to go back, but I did Sumatra, Java and Bali and they were all so different. Sumatra was very much like, wow, I'm really in the jungle here. I'm sleeping in a shack. And there's like monkeys and snakes everywhere. That was a bit scary. Um, <laughs> and then Bali was like full of Australians and, you know, vegan food everywhere and, you know, a lot more, oh, luxury hotels and blah, blah, Influencer. Mm. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm so basic. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was so different. It was a nice way to end the trip anyway. So then I came home around Christmas time and I thought I was going to be really like, woohoo, fun employment, but I just wasn't. Because I didn't like not having something lined up. Not knowing what I was going to do next in my life. Like, I'm a planner. Um, I thrive off structure. So I didn't enjoy just being at home. But actually, I just kind of started applying for jobs. And I think it was actually in the January I got this position at The Telegraph, working on Stella magazine. And like, the most, most junior you could possibly be. And I think that job started in February, so I moved to London then. So I wasn't actually at home at my parents in Leicestershire for that long. But I remember saying to myself, I'll try and get a job for a little bit. And if I can't get one, I'll do a journalism master's. Because I had no journalism qualifications. I had a lot of experience because I'd started a blog when I was 17, done internships like every holiday since I was a teenager, into my uni years, load of student journalism. I was so keen. Like, I, know, so I was looking keen. through your LinkedIn and I was oh. just like, she's been here, she's been here, she's done this. So, like, you know when it, you said earlier, when you know when it comes up, like, like, five more, more experiences, five more experiences. <laughs> doesn't stop, does it? <laughs> It's incredible. Yeah, I feel like I maybe didn't need to put all the internships on in my LinkedIn, but I think back in the day, you know, when I didn't have like any real jobs, I was like, put them all there. Yeah. Actually, when I was interviewing for my current job, the editor-in-chief was like why did you do so many internships and I was like I just wanted to I was kind of just desperate to start working desperate to be a journalist and I didn't always know exactly what type I wanted to be but I originally thought I wanted to be a fashion journalist did some fashion work placements I was like nope (laughs) not for me (laughs) exactly but anyway I'm such a waffler no I love it (laughs) so I was at the Telegraph for just under a year and then I moved to the Independent joined the lifestyle team there and started as a lifestyle writer, then became the assistant lifestyle editor, and I did the podcast Millennial Love There with my dear friend Livy. And then I was an indie for two years, and then I moved to Insider, Insider Business Insider, it's all the same company. And I've been there for coming up for a year and a half now. Wow. Well, congratulations, because you've done a lot of really cool stuff. <laughs> oh, thanks, you're very kind. So talking about languages, I find it Mm. really inspiring when people study language because stereotypically, I hate to say it, but as a country and British people, they're quite lazy with languages Mm. because you can go to any country and just assume they'll speak English to you. It's really bad. Mm. So what has been the best thing about knowing languages and working different cultures and teaching languages? Oh, that's a very interesting question. I have to say, I hate going to a foreign country and not being able to speak any of the language. 
but obviously it's inevitable and we are so privileged to have been raised and have English as a mother tongue but like you say it makes it too easy not to learn any other languages for me it's just you can build relationships so much better with people if you can speak their language and I do think when you go to a foreign country ideally you do want to be speaking their language you're in their country and like people are it's it's a lovely ego boost whenever I go somewhere and I'm speaking French or German and I've got very rusty since uni I'll tell you that and (laughs) people are always so touched and impressed and surprised that you can speak their language because they're like appreciating the effort yeah because it's so unnatural for someone British to go and just be like okay I can speak your language like let's just do it on your terms rather than being like talk English to me yeah exactly and even though I don't use my languages very often in my work life I do use them occasionally and that's helpful and you know I, I travel for work and I was in Austria in October and being able to speak German was incredibly helpful there incredibly helpful even though most people there speak English better than I speak German. <laughs> so when you start a sentence, they're like, it's okay, it's okay, we will speak, we will speak English. No, they speak German back to me, which is incredibly touching. Oh. Um, and I, th- I always find that in France as well. It's a real confidence boost when people speak French back to me. And I'm like, I know you can probably speak English very well, but the fact that you're understanding my French and I'm understanding your French feels great. <laughs> <laughs> What's a good way, so for someone who hasn't studied languages at university, what would you say is a good way to learn a language a lot of people love duolingo that app i've never actually used it i feel like maybe that's something i should do learn another language yeah living abroad is the way you really get your fluency up so if you do have the opportunity to do that take it and you know you have to learn a bit as well like have some lessons or like try and teach yourself but honestly the way you really get there is to live abroad it's like immersive therapy isn't it yeah totally Mm. It's like in Love Actually when he <laughs> learns Portuguese. That is so <laughs> funny. I know, it's adorable. Uh, uh, that scene at the end, I mean, to be fair, the love story between those two is arguably the most ridiculous thing in the whole film, but... <laughs> it's mental. Like, they can barely speak to each other, I and know. then they're like, marry me, and then she moves to England. It's just so rogue. And he's all, you learned English, and she's all, just in cases. Just in cases, <laughs> yeah. Well, it lied. I know. So you touched there on your, like, internships experience. Why was it that you wanted to do so many? Was it just that you were incredibly passionate about journalism or did you always have, like, one eye on graduation? I was always super ambitious, to be honest with you, and I knew that the more internships I did, the more doors would open to me, the more contacts I'd have, the more I'd learn, the stronger position I'd be in post-graduation. And it was also... It was just such a good way for me to, A, learn about the industry, B try and decide what type of journalist I wanted to be. And I just enjoyed it. I loved it. I got such a thrill out of coming to London, you know, crashing on sofas and, you know, going to the office and commuting. <laughs> and, you know, half the time I was sitting in cupboards, like putting clothes on hangers and stuff. I wasn't really writing anything or rarely, but I loved it. It was just exactly what I wanted to, wanted to be doing. Mm. So I couldn't get enough. We've spoken about this before, when you get an internship, you've got to be so careful that you're not just being exploited is a strong word. Mm. But as an intern, naturally, people like, oh, the classic tea intern. Mm. But what I gather from what you're saying is that you were just so happy to just do anything mm. and kind of break down that image, that glossy image of what internship and the journalist industry looks like. It's very difficult as an intern because you want to be useful. You don't want to be annoying. And since, you know, I've become someone who has an actual job, 
I'm still like, whoa, I'm not an intern <laughs> anymore. It can be like extra work to find something for someone who's on work experience for a week or two to do. And so when I was interning, I was already kind of conscious about that and I wanted to strike the right balance. But I basically just tried to be helpful in any way, be enthusiastic, be cheery, but not be annoying. And I genuinely believe people love it when you just offer to make tea, right? Yeah, you're talking about yourself useful because otherwise you become known as, oh my God, I've got to find something for the work experience person. Like I've got it now where there's someone new intern on our team and she's like, can I do this? Can I do that? And I'm like, yes, great. Thank you. Take this off me. But also at the same time, you're like, I'm trying to get on with other stuff. Mm. So you kind of, you've got to strike that mm. right balance where you're not annoying people, mm. but also you're being helpful and you're making yeah. yourself remembered. And I think, you know, be thrilled with every job you get. If someone's like reorganised the filing, you'd be like, great, love to. <laughs> like not in a weird way, but like you can't go in there with an attitude of, Ugh, as if I'm giving the doing these boring menial tasks. Mm. Like, no, mm. they're never gonna want to keep in touch with you, or like keep you in mind if you have an attitude like that. Well, it's like he said about just trying to kind of learn what kind of journalism you wanted to go mm. into, and even if you're not writing content necessarily, you're in that atmosphere. You're seeing people write content. You're getting the vibes from them, and that helps the whole process, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly, and that was why how I realised that I didn't want to be a fashion journalist. Apart from the fact that I just wasn't as interested in fashion as I thought, but I realised that a lot of fashion journalism, of course not all, but a lot of it was more about styling than writing. And obviously, if you're like you know a very senior journalist, it's about writing as much as anything else. But there was a lot of styling in like the magazines and I was like mm, that's not what I'm into mm. and it has it has to be that trial and error you do you do have to try things to work out whether or not you like completely them or not. yeah yeah and otherwise how would you know like I the vast majority of my friends graduated and had no idea what they wanted to do I was very rare that even before uni I knew what I wanted to do you know that's very rare yeah Mm. it is because you often discover during university the kind of things you enjoy and then you just try lots of different things out what advice would you give to someone who is applying for a journalist internship keep going keep trying you're gonna just have to knock on a lot of doors chase people up i feel like journalists are probably one of the jobs where people you just get the most emails i get you know 200 plus a day and to be fair, most of them are PRs. But when when someone slides into my inbox, like asking about internships or something, sometimes it's just come at a time where I'm in the middle of something and I'm not in a position to reply. I send a follow up. Try and find direct people to contact. Like occasionally, I've had people. Uh, well, this worked for me as well. I've like DM someone on Twitter whose work I just really liked. Just kind of asking, like, do they offer any internships and keep things short and sweet but also you just have to strike the right tone in that you're not being demanding like hello please give me an internship a bit of trial and error to be honest with you see what see what works see what gets your response a lot of the time it's just it's about whether it's something the company even does because I did so many kind of two-week placements or something and I was they were never paid never paid and that was a privileged position I was in that I could afford to you know, come to London, crash on family, friends, sofas and things and, you know, in my summer holidays, not be paid for that. I think you just have to be resilient and knock on a lot of doors. And, like, don't only aim for, like, the nationals, the biggest companies. Start your local paper. You'll get to do more as well. 
Mm. And it's with journalism, it is all about having that stuff behind you to be like, look, this is my portfolio of work. This is everything I've done. Because it's one of those industries where the more internships you have, the better. Right. You need to be able to show how keen you are, how passionate you are, how much experience you have. And you've got to start somewhere. Yeah. And day to day, regardless of the jobs you're doing, you'll definitely be faced with something that comes your way which you have to think quickly and all these things that you stereotypically put on your mm. <laughs> on your CV you're like oh I'm passionate and I can think of my feet right. so the more experience you get the more you're exposed to yeah totally mm. and you learn about dealing with people office politics it's all great yeah and journalism like the amount of people you must deal with in journalism <laughs> ah, so probably like every industry yeah. And on this podcast, we talk a lot about work-life balance, but mm-hmm. something about your work is that you combine your kind of personal life with your work life. Was that something that you always planned to do? Or is that something that's, again, been organic and you've worked it out along the way that that was what you wanted to do? That's a good question. I feel very privileged that I mainly write about the topics and things that I'm interested in. Because obviously I could be a journalist who writes about football, but I don't care about football. So my work wouldn't be very good. I love fitness and I love trying different workout studios. So I spend my evenings going to workout classes and things. And that means that it's just what I want to do in my own time. But that's so helpful for my job. And it's like, I love to travel. So I'm always kind of reading about the travel industry and I'm always listening to fitness podcasts just for myself not for work but it's always so helpful I'm learning a lot about work and I've never been someone who has any qualms about kind of putting myself out there like you know (laughs) I will write about my own life quite happily I'm a very open book so for me that's like a real privilege to be able to write about things in my own life in first person pieces and you know I started my blog which was a lifestyle blog as a teenager and I was always writing about what I was doing and I overshare on Instagram and I really overshared on millennial love and so I know for some people they couldn't think of anything worse than putting so much of themselves out there in the public for me it's fun love it do you find it a necessity to switch off or are you constantly thinking like you said when you go to a fitness class you're like oh I can talk about this I have to say I actually think I have very good work-life balance and better in my current job than previously like I'm not expected to be in the office till late every evening or anything and they, they my company are very good they know that that's important to have healthy happy employees I guess I'm kind of always thinking, oh, that could be a story, or oh, that's something I could look into, but never in a way that feels like work, you know? Mm. Of course, if, like, something dramatic goes wrong and I'm like, I don't know, something something I've done work-wise has angered someone and I'm being trolled and there's uproar and I'm going viral or something, <laughs> then obviously if it's, like, you know, 10pm, I'll be hopping <laughs> online to sort that out. <laughs> um... But it doesn't. It never feels like work. And like it, sometimes I will be doing things in the evening that I know are specifically for a story. You know, I might go to an event and I'm going to write about it. But that's fine. Mm. You know. And if I ever do have to do something like I might work a Sunday evening for the Baftas, my boss is like, you know, take a new day for that. I'm like, cool, which is mm. great. Yeah, that's so ideal. Isn't yeah, it? and yeah. have you found that like as you've got older and you've progressed throughout your career and become more senior, you're more confident to ask for those lead days, or did you find at the beginning you were just doing every single hour? I still don't know that I'm. Com- I would ask for lead days, but that, I think that's because I'm kind of now kind of offered them before. I do think the older you get and the more senior you get and the more experienced you get, 
the more you feel confident enough to push back at things. But I, I don't really feel like I have anything to push back against. Quite lucky. Yeah, that's nice. So like, you have the autonomy to control where you want to work and where you want to be and stuff, and that's so good. To an extent. I still definitely have imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. and I'm still worried all the time about is what I'm doing good enough? Like, literally, today, I had an, an article um, scheduled to be published that I finished on Friday, and my editor, who's working today, published it, and she just messaged me, just saying, you know, really great piece, loved how in-depth it was or something, and I'm literally like, oh my god. <laughs> she, yes, it's good. And it's so, I don't know what it is, imposter syndrome, insecurity, constant need for validation and praise, I'm still always worried about if what I'm doing is good enough. And I, I don't know, it's it's nice to work somewhere where they will they'll give you positive feedback when you deserve it and not just tell you when the things are wrong, you know? Because mm-hmm. you need that sometimes. You need someone just to be like, that's actually okay. Because I feel like everyone we've spoken to, they suffer with imposter syndrome. It seems to be just mm-hmm. so far-reaching. But actually, when someone tells you that it's good, it's like, oh, thank God. Because it takes two minutes to say, this is actually really good. But it right. just makes your day. Yeah. I think that is so important in a manager to just give your your team positive feedback. Mm. Oh God, it makes my life. I work. I think I've mentioned this before actually, but I live by this now. I work with consultants and they hate the word but and they hate the term negative feedback. Because like you said earlier, you should always see failures and the things that go wrong as growth spurts. You're like, oh, I'm, I can grow from this. I can learn something. So instead, just say to someone, oh, that was really good. This particular thing was really good. And a way you can make it even better if is mm. if you do this. Rather than saying, Becky, like, what was that on my desk? Like, <laughs> that's Sophie, you turned up late. You know, you can just make it a bit better. Yeah. My, my editor's so good at this as well. I swear to God, whenever... If, if there are tweaks on edits that I need to make to a piece, she'll always start the message with, like really enjoyed this piece or really loved your picture or really loved what you said about it. and then she'll be like I think we can make it better by doing this blah 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 but it's it's never I never receive it in a way as like all this is shit mate we need to sort it out like what the fuck have you been doing yeah. you know and I've had managers in the past who definitely did not have that approach and it's really important I think so as a journalist and you said that you're you're a very open book you're very happy to talk about what's on your mind have you ever, if you don't mind talking about it, have you ever received any negative comments or negative feedback and how have you dealt with it? It depends who from. I mean, I will get a lot of trolling and abuse and that comes with putting yourself out there online, on social media. It used to upset me a lot more. Back in the start of my career, when I, when I was at The Telegraph and I first kind of started writing about a bit of personal things, putting opinions out there, and I first started, you know, getting trolled and getting attacked. And I mean, we all know what people are like online. It's mm. awful. It was very upsetting. It was very upsetting. I definitely cried. And now I'm just, and I do a bit of presenting video content. And oh my God, the YouTube comments. That's the worst comments oh, of you all. savage on there. Awful. I, it's actually shocking. Whereas now I literally, I laugh at them. I am like, oh, you're, that's so sad. You feel the need to do this. Mm, and it's like, like, wow, is that the only thing you can do with your day? Like, I'm sorry, I'm actually crushing it. You probably want to beat me. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to think about it. Right? You have to just channel that, though, to be honest. And so you, it, it makes you resilient. It makes you develop a tough skin. 
But obviously, that's it's one thing dealing with trolls, and another thing when you get negative feedback from someone whose opinion you actually care about. Be that your boss, be that a friend or family member. Like that's hard. I don't think I'm very good at it. Yeah, mm. and they say that if you receive negative feedback, it means you're reaching people you don't know. So interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably good actually. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned earlier about the fact that you've been blogging since you were seventeen. Mm. Definitely within the last decade, there has been an outburst of blogs and people, you know, putting all their feelings out in a plate and talking about things. How do you stand out in a sea filled with bloggers and vloggers? I mean, I don't don't know if I ever stood out that much because I, you know, my blog was kind of successful enough. Like, I got highly commended at the Cosmo Blog Awards one year, which was cool. But I was never, like, massive. Like, didn't have a humongous following by any means. I actually kind of stopped blogging because I realised between Instagram and what I was doing for work, I didn't need this extra outlet and this extra platform. And I actually think there's been such a shift from blogs to Instagram, where, you know, you just write a long caption if you've got stuff to say. That's what I do anyway. It's very hard to stand out. It's very... I don't really know what the solution is. Like, oh, I don't know how people make their voice heard. I think it's really important not to try and copy anyone else, Mm -hmm. not to try and replicate what anyone else does. So just kind of be yourself. That's really cliched advice. But no, it's a good thing to say. No, and your USP has almost become kind of your fitness and food and brunch kind of content. Was that something, again, that... Because I remember reading you did a piece at The Independent, which kind of you got into fitness and did it all like that. Was it like a passion that just developed and you were like, this is what I really want to be doing now? Oh, yes. Well, the whole fitness journey of life. It's very interesting because... I'm going to re- like rewind a little bit yeah. in that I was an active child in that I, my family were very active. We grew up, you know, exercising. I played sports at school. I, I loved dancing. I would dance like four or five times a week. God bless my parents. And then, you know, the older you get, I started to equate exercise with you know, something that you should do to lose weight or to offset food, which is such a mindset that most of us are indoctrinated to think. So at uni, you know, I would spend ages in the on the cross trainer at the gym, like hating every second because let's be real, that's not fun. But feeling like it was something I had to do. Mm. And when I first moved to London and I sort of entered this new world of the media and there were all these swanky events I could go to and I did not exercise, not really at all. And I was out partying all the time, drinking lots, eating lots, having so much fun. But good Lord, I was not looking after myself. I was, I mean, I definitely put on a lot of weight. I just just wasn't feeling great, even though I was kind of like, woo, I'm having so much fun. And so my whole kind of fitness journey, which again, sounds so wanky, but I don't really know how else to talk about it, (laughs) kind of started by chance. So when I was at The Independent, my editor was like, Oh, do you want to do this thing where you're going to like train with a top personal trainer for six weeks and write about it? And I was like, yeah, all right, whatever. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, changed my life, didn't it? Wow. I feel very lucky, very lucky to have done that because I, it was kind of meant to be about weight training, which I had never done. I had literally zero experience of. And I got to train with a very top PT, Rich Tidmarsh, Ledge. And so I got to train with him for six weeks and he kind of taught me all the technique that one would need to perform the main moves, which you would in a gym. I never stopped. To be fair, that's 
been this summer I guess it will have been three years since I started lifting weights and it just has gradually 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 completely changed my whole outlook on exercise on fitness on my body I do that because I love it I love how it makes me feel both during and after exercising and I think a lot of people force themselves to exercise they don't really enjoy just because they're like oh I'll feel good after that's not that's not what it's like for me anymore and I I no longer will m- make myself go on a run or go and like spend 45 minutes on those cardio machines like why I also now know that actually like if you are looking to burn fat or whatever it's not even the most efficient way to do that and so gradually the more I have you know developed this personal passion for it it's just become more and more of my work which is like lovely a real privilege and I now just feel so strongly that we should not make ourselves do exercise that we don't enjoy and that there genuinely is a type of exercise out there for everyone you just have to find what it is it might not be weightlifting it might be and a lot of women in particular are just kind of a bit nervous and I completely get why I do think you need someone to teach you how to do things and then once you have that confidence you then can go and fly and so I now I play netball I dance I lift weights and I'm kind of you know for work trying out different bits and bobs all the time but I do what I like now and I love it I love it so much and it's been it's been so gradual this kind of changing thing happening I think it was like you know maybe a year or a year and a half ago someone like described me as a fitness person like I was like oh you're so into your fitness and I was like what <laughs> am I am I and I was like yes maybe I am <laughs> I know that I have an obsessive personality as well so I I'm co- I've learned that about myself over the years and I am conscious of like are we getting obsessive no no we're okay you know (laughs) check in right (laughs) exactly what's also interesting and then so you know over the past kind of couple of years as well not even that much year and a half or so I like I had this love of fitness but I needed to work on my relationship with food and so that's kind of been more like a year and a half thing I was I was overeating a lot and I would have like binge episodes which I think a lot of people have as well. And I kind of really wanted to work on that, started drinking less, and it kind of has all come together really gradually. Also in that period, I've realized I'm much more introverted than I thought I was. And it's just kind of like, this is why I love aging. Like, okay, I'm 27, so I'm not like old, but the older I get, the more I kind of learn about myself, learn about what I like, learn about what makes me feel good. And I just think that's awesome. Mm. that is the thing is that in your early 20s especially when you first leave uni you want to try everything you still think you should be keeping up that like uni lifestyle going out partying like everybody else is doing but then you then compare yourself and it's like oh but there's this person they're doing they've got their shit together and they're doing this and Mm. they're doing this and they're doing this and then you it's that constant especially with the instagram Mm. it's that constant cycle did you find yourself when you first started getting into fitness did you find yourself comparing yourself to people who were like further along there in quotation mark journeys yeah totally and i remember i'd go to like group classes and i'd be like wow i i'm lifting the lightest weights of everyone here and oh i can't even do a pull-up with this like helpful resistance bandy thing <laughs> and obviously we all compare ourselves to other people and it's hard not to but it's true what they say comparison is the thief of joy and but then it also makes it more rewarding to look back now and be like ah, look at me now mm. look at me now and I think you just have to remember as well that if you are feeling that you're behind other people 
everyone just starts at a different time at a different point like we were all beginners once you know what is kind of interesting is that I've written about this and I sort of over the first five six months of last year I lost quite a lot of weight I was already really strong before that I'll be honest with you like because I'd, I'd been lifting for like a year and a half and I, I was strong and I was fit-ish <laughs> it wasn't until I lost some weight that people kind of started taking me more seriously as like someone who knows about fitness and I think that's very problematic in many ways like I didn't suddenly know more about technique I wasn't suddenly stronger if anything probably lost some strength but because there was just like a little bit less fat on my body people suddenly thought oh yeah she is serious about fitness she's fitness more like fitness person and I was like hmm that's an issue it's crazy isn't it it's Mm. almost like they look at you and say oh what's your magic trick (laughs) I got that so much they were like, how did you lose weight? And I was like, ate a bit less. Mm. Literally, mm. ate a bit less, drank yeah. a bit less, basically. <laughs> I know, and, essentially, and especially with Instagram as well. We, we talk about Instagram all the time. But like, as somebody who used to have anorexia, I used to just use Instagram as a tool to just punish myself with. Yeah. And then people just assume that all weight loss is overnight. You must have taken a magic pill. Yeah. And what I personally love about your content is that you do show the highs and the lows mm-hmm. of it. You do the comparison photos, but you do it in a way that's like, haven't changed anything significantly I'm just doing things that make me happy I'm living a more healthy active lifestyle is that like transparency and being open and authentic really important to you I think so but I I definitely think I could do it better I definitely think I could like I like anyone else will take like 20 pics and post the best one you know Mm. and I'm of course I could post more on flattering angles I feel like I post them more on my stories but I probably should post them more as real (laughs) posts you know it's really hard to find the right balance, isn't it? Mm. I follow a lot of like body positive accounts, which I love. I think that's really important. And I like people who post, oh, look, my body looks like this at one moment, my body looks like this at another. And that's been really helpful to me because I'm like, I swear to God, at the start of the day compared to the end of the day, when I ate, like, haven't eaten food and have eaten food, I look so different. Oh, oh, I'm like, a completely different person. I look like nine months pregnant by the end of the right? day. Right? I swear to God. Like, how do I... I literally just like expand it's it's kind of incredible and like in the morning when you're like hang on <laughs> I have nothing in my stomach but wow I know I'm like oh, I'm gonna go eat a bagel now <laughs> oh I love a bagel yeah I don't know I do I do think the whole Instagram thing is you have to again check yourself and reflect and I definitely like have unfollowed like Victoria's secret models and people mm. at the time and like who just I'm like Seeing your body is not helpful to me, actually. I I like to follow people who are fitter than I am, stronger than I am, because that is kind of motivational and inspiring and you get workout ideas and stuff. But I have to make sure that I don't look at them and think, ugh, I don't look like them. Or the same way, oh, I'm not as strong as them. I'm not as fit as them and I'm not working out as much as them. You know, I think you have to check how you react to what you see and who you follow. And if it's negative they gotta go Hmm. it's about that awareness and striking a balance isn't it i think so and talking on the topic of balance we would love to talk about alcohol and millennials Mm. because you've recently released an absolutely brilliant article about the millennial relationship with alcohol and how it's seen now and what's trendy what's your take on alcohol (laughs) it's so interesting because i have changed so much 
I mentioned this to you guys before we started recording, but I'm just going to catch the listeners up. Yeah. I, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I started drinking at 14. I absolutely did not. I have no interest in booze for a long time. Like, as a teenager, I didn't drink. I didn't even really like drinking at all at uni. It wasn't until my year abroad. I don't know if it was something about, like, the drinks in Germany that I was like, oh, these are delicious. Or that, or that like, Glühwein. Their beers are amazing. Uh, the beers are better there for sure, but I, do you know I love? A Hugo. Do you know a Hugo? Oh, I don't know. It's a German Hugo. cocktail, and it's like, um... Elderflower, Prosecco, soda water, a bit of mint. Ooh, it's so like a mojito. Yeah, mm. a bit like a mojito, but more elderflower and like Prosecco-y. Mm. Anyway, nice. it was great. I sort of got into alcohol on that year abroad, age 21. I came back to uni and was like, guys, let's drink and let's go out. And everyone was like, what are you talking about? We have to study for finals now. And I was like, what? <laughs> anyway, and so then I had, I was I had a very boozy first few years in London and I kind of, I, I saw myself as something of a party girl. Whenever I would go out with friends and be at parties and events, I'd be drinking the most, you know, and I could drink a lot. And I regularly overdid it. And But, you know, when you're in your early 20s, I don't really get hangovers. I would drink too much that I would vom, sure. Was a vomer. Probably still am a vomer. I don't know, it's hard to know now. <laughs> it wasn't until... January 2018 that I did dry January for the first time and like it low-key changed my life I had had a few in the last few months of 2017 I'd had like my leaving drinks from the independent my birthday I can't remember something else and they were just kind of I remember thinking there were three times in a row where I just absolutely annihilated myself with booze and I was like I need to stop this I need a reset and so I did dry January and, and I genuinely just couldn't, I was kind of so shocked at how much it, how much better I felt, oh. you know, and it, like, I lost a lot of weight and I, at the time I had some weight to lose. My skin was so much better. And because I, I was always like really into my fitness, I found myself just getting better results and I had more oomph and drive and energy for my workouts. And I was like, what? Look at this. Look at this. <laughs> look, look what I can do now. Which is great. And, um... And so then I've just gradually, since then, cut down my drinking. I'm not someone who wants to go completely sober. This is why I like the term sober curious. I, I'm drinking less now than I probably ever have since I first got into drinking. And I feel so good for it. I'm not saying I will never drink more in my time. I'm sure I will. I don't want to cut out drinking altogether because actually I enjoy a glass of Prosecco and I enjoy a gin and tonic. But... Or like Hugo. Exactly. <laughs> I don't actually enjoy it as much as I thought or I did or it's almost like the benefits I get from not drinking outweigh the pleasure I might get from that drink and I've also just realised that I actually don't need booze to have fun. It's it kind of, it can be very hard because people really peer pressure you and I actually think it's harder to drink not very much or identify as sober curious than not drink at all because if you just say to someone oh no I don't drink they're like oh okay cool if you say oh I don't want to drink tonight then people are like oh go on go on mm. and it's like yeah okay whatever it's exhausting <laughs> it's like I, I think that's the hardest part about not drinking very much is just kind of coping with other people but yeah I, I, I know I will drink too much again in my time and you know, the, the hangovers have got worse, though. I never used to get a headache. Now, if I do overdo it, 
I will have a pounding head all the next day and it is horrendous. <laughs> it's so, so awful. And I know that having cut down on booze, those hangovers are only going to get worse. Yeah. And so I actually do think it's really good that, like, I'm not the only person doing this. Like, it is quite a millennial thing. Like you said, the younger generations are drinking less. I mean, there's still plenty of young people who get hammered all the time. But, like, I was never... I was only ever a social drinker. I was never someone who came home and was like, oh, I need a glass of something, you know? I was only ever someone who was drank at parties or social engagements and dinner parties and things. Whereas I think a lot of the older generations in particular are people who will come home and, like, drink a bottle of wine every night of the week, you know? Mm. Whereas I think millennials and there are stats to back this up can't think of any off the top of my head but that show you that millennials are drinking less but than older generations but when they slash we do drink we go hard yeah, mm. yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like binge and restrict culture yeah. isn't it yeah. that's the issue with dry january is i had a couple of friends who did dry january and on the first of feb they got paralytic drunk right and i was like guys you may as well just had a glass of wine yeah. every other day and balance it out a little bit rather than just like go completely sober mm. then on the first of feb mm. like go full pal yeah and that's the thing that i'm kind of noticing throughout what you're saying is that you are a big proponent of that balance yeah. and not doing everything in extremes yeah and noting and kind of listening to your body and noting that you do have a little bit of an obsessive personality mm. so actually taking that step back is that do you are you very cognizant of that and making sure that you don't do things to extremes yeah because i don't think i'm someone for whom moderation comes naturally (laughs) story of my life right (laughs) i have an obsessive personality I, i go hard at things and i can't people say you shouldn't talk about being all or nothing but i do think i have that side to me And so I am sort of trying as well with my drinking now in not just being like, don't drink, don't drink, don't drink, don't drink. Okay, I want to drink tonight. Go hard. And like, for example, I was really like proud of myself that a few weeks ago, that was like a Saturday. I had two drinks. That was it. It was great. No hangover the next day. Enjoyed those two drinks. Enjoyed my friend's birthday drinks and then dinner with another friend. And I was like, nailed it. But it's something again that I've just learned about myself. And it's like that with all sorts food as well it's the same thing fitness with with kind of anything I do I just try and stop and reflect and try to be more balanced it's hard though it is hard yeah I think I think it's just you're obviously like so self-aware in a positive way because you can openly admit that you have an obsessive personality but like you said curious drinking or um sober sober curiosity curiosity in general it's just a much better mindset to have isn't it i think so it is for me and i don't i don't want to give up alcohol forever i don't want to go some people will say like why do you need to do dry january why can't you just drink more moderately but like i am actually a big fan of going kind of cold turkey and going sober for periods at a time because i think it does kind of remind you the benefits you get from not drinking lessons i think it's a good reset uh, yeah, so like when I was a teenager, and I, I think when I was like 17 or something, I decided I wanted to lose some weight, you know, classic. I started calorie tracking, and I definitely got addicted to it, and that was unhealthy, and I don't know if it was borderline and eating disorder, but I got too thin because I was obsessed. I wasn't anorexic, but I think I got to an unhealthy level of thinness, and um, I, that was kind of a very good way for me to learn that wow okay my brain can go this way 
you know and it is only through experience and age and learning about yourself that you kind of work these things out and it takes time and I think as graduates we're so especially in the early days you're so quick to beat yourself up for doing things wrong because you haven't had the failure that teaches you it's like the Elizabeth Day mentality yeah you haven't had the failure that teaches you the stuff that you can then be looking back on with hindsight and being like oh that made me grow but actually just becoming a little bit more self-aware mm. and noting, okay, this is an element of my personality mm-hmm. that I probably need to keep an eye on. Or maybe, I like, this is what I did, I was drinking, and I spoke about this on the podcast before, I was drinking way too much, dating way too much back in like the first six months in London. Just overdid it so much that it got to January and I was like, oh my God, I'm broken. And then started to put that balance in. But I think it does take time and just kind of hearing stories of people who have done it and have been there I think it's just so important to recognise that the perfect lifestyle doesn't exist Completely. and you don't have to get there overnight. It is a long process. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I do think that not beating yourself up is really important. And I am consciously trying to do that as well. And like, I don't, I try really hard not to make myself feel guilty for things. And if I find myself at the end of the day, kind of like feeling a bit guilty and being like, you shouldn't have eaten that extra donut or something. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, like we're trying to be moderate you could have you know you could have just had one donut and like try and not feel bad about myself I then write down I'm like I write down my wins I'm like here are the good things we did today and then that just makes me feel better and I, I writing things down is really helpful to me because I'm like okay you had two donuts you probably could have just had the one donut didn't have three <laughs> exactly you know mm, it's and you find know, the positive in everything yeah mm. and like writing down wins helps me helps me not like beat myself up i think that's a really nice way to bring it on to the last question would you agree i agree so we finish every single episode with this question rachel how are you going to continue to grad life by the horns oh that's such a good question i feel like you guys have actually inspired me and made me like it's made me think i'm so impressed that you guys do this podcast completely in your free time and it's made me think yeah i need to i need to do something like that I need to grab life by the horns by thinking about what do I, as I said, I got this nice work-life balance. What could I do to achieve more in my free time and outside of my job to give myself more of a sense of achievement? So I don't know what that's going to be, but I'm going to have a think about it. Amazing. I love that. Thank you so much what a for brilliant coming on. Chat. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you for having me. Hi guys, it's Sophie here rounding up the episode. We want to say a massive thank you to Rachel for such a lovely chat and for also inviting us into her home. Don't know about you guys, <laughs> if you were able to hear it or not, but the neighbours upstairs literally decided to move all of their furniture around and have a gathering as soon as we started recording. So it was quite eventful, but at the same time quite funny. Like most of our previous guests, we recorded with Rachel pre-lockdown and when coronavirus was nowhere near as profound as it is now. So I just wanted to throw in that quick reminder in case the timeline seems a little bit off, because it is. <laughs> Since lockdown, Rachel moved out to the countryside to be with her family very early on, before all the guidelines were put in place and has been putting out some amazing content on her Instagram since, mainly about intuitive fitness, bedroom ballet, and how she has been navigating lockdown. She is such a breath of fresh air on your feed, so definitely go and give her a follow 
at Rachel underscore Hosey. This chat was super special to us. We thoroughly enjoyed it and we hope you pulled something valuable from it too. For me personally, the topics that stood out in particular were her experiences studying language and awesome accounts of travelling abroad and how she has really invested in other cultures. I was inspired by this conversation and also from some of the conversations from our awesome takeover guests from the end of season two and I've actually jumped onto the Duolingo bandwagon (laughs) to freshen up and improve my Spanish so I highly recommend you guys do the same because languages is such an important part of being inclusive and diverse. Also I loved our chat at the end about drinking culture as I'm going to level with you guys, I do love a good drink and I love to socialise as well. And it was super interesting to touch base with this as Rachel had just released an article about it. Drinking is an odd one for this age. At university, I was social chess, so I noticed the shift from students going out and getting drunk to movie and gay nights, having a few at the pub or eating out. So it's really interesting to think about how it transitions when you enter grad life. I love Rachel's analogy of sober curious and how it's important to know what's right for you, whether that's going cold turkey in dry January, only having two occasionally or whatever you see fits. We also really hope that Rachel's insight into the fitness and health industry, internship mindsets and how, I quote, comparisons are the thief of joy resonates with you as graduates too. Just an extra side note, recently we have released newsletters and social media posts to work as a resource bank for the Black Lives Matter movement. We are dedicated to raising awareness and building a platform to bring about these diverse voices of people navigating grad life. Our next newsletter will be a resource bank for Pride and the LGBTQ community. So if you have any recommendations, stories or resources you would like to share, please do drop us an email or a direct message. Having said that, please also give us a follow on Instagram at GradLifeByTheHorns and on Twitter at GradLifeBTH. We would love to hear your feedback on the episode and if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, we would really appreciate your ratings and reviews. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you to our wonderful listeners. And we will be back with another episode in two weeks' time. Bye.